Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive. Hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing raise. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning. Welcome to our show. We'll discuss the big trade this week with Eric Neander and also Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, while Brady Williams will tell us more about Taylor Walls. We'll hear from Rich Hill about his terrific run of one run over 23 and two-thirds innings. Plus, we'll chat with prospect Alexander Ovias. We continue on this week in race baseball and time to take a closer look at the big move the race made this week involving the trade of Willie Adams to the Brewers and joining us is race executive vice president and general manager, Eric Neander and Eric, we appreciate a few minutes. Tell me how hard this move was to make and why make it at this point? Really, really difficult. And we've made difficult trades before. They're never, they're never fun. They're never, never satisfying. Uh, this one was especially difficult just because of the quality of the person that, that Willie is. They just, they don't come any better. And beyond that, obviously, for the moment, he joined Bowling Green as an 18-year-old and ascended through our system. He's been a part of a lot of wins. And uh, he's, he's been in the center of a lot of ball clubs. And we wouldn't have accomplished all we have the last few years without Willie. So uh, that, that makes it difficult, to say the least, and really just a matter of assessing you know, our, our major league contributors on each side of the ball and some of those that haven't had the opportunity yet but are on our 40 and beyond and just trying to figure out the best way that we can move forward and, and make the most of what we have. A lot of times when you guys make moves of big pieces, they'll occur in the off season so that, you know, time to settle, let's say, and, and adjust during spring training. This occurs in May. How much do you worry about clubhouse chemistry? I know how much you value it. Yeah, and I you had asked about the timing of this on the previous question. I didn't get to it, so yeah, it's it's something that I think for us we're we're trying to compete. We're trying to make the most of of, of what we have and um, trying to improve any areas where we feel like we have a chance to improve them. And uh, th- this type of trade is one where we're going to give up a major league contributor 
like Willie that means that much to us. We need to get things back that could help our major league team. This was just the time of the year where Milwaukee's needs are pretty clear to them. Our needs are pretty clear to us and, and we linked up. So the timing of it and, and doing something in May, mid-May like this is certainly a point in the calendar where I don't think anyone's necessarily expecting a trade. You know, it's not it's not late July. It's not the winter uh, where speculation can 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 you know be drawn out for a while. It, it is something that you know runs the risk of being disruptive. You just try to own it. You try to be accountable to it. You try to be accessible to the, everybody in the clubhouse and provide them as much honesty and, and transparency to why we we made the decision and, and trust that you know these are these are professionals it's it's a wonderful group and that they'll they'll fight their way through it does that make it easier to make a move because you have so many good guys in the clubhouse and obviously you saw the way they responded on Friday night I think it it, it, it provides confidence that they can weather just about anything that that's thrown at them whatever it may be be it a transaction be it injuries you know and so on. But at the same time, want to make sure that's not reason to, to take for granted just how important it is to have that chemistry to that camaraderie, you know, everybody pulling for one another. And you, you want to make sure you respect that. And obviously that that was something we factored in, uh, but still decided to go forward on this one. How much of that also speaks to the confidence that you had in Taylor Walls, who made his major league debut on Saturday? And obviously the other talented young switch inning middle infield players that you have down in Durham. Yeah, absolutely a factor. I, I think backing up, uh, you know, a moment, you look at our major league team and Yanni Diaz is, has played well on the corners so far. And a lot of his time has been at first. Joey's been wonderful over at third uh, and G-Man Choi's returned. And so, you know, you're looking at different ways to get him in the lineup. We believe Joey can, you know, handle shortstop and, and play it well. You know, at times we're going to have Yandi at third and uh, G-Man at first. So, you know, you, you, you factor that. And then certainly we've got a handful of infielders in particular at, at, at Durham. Padlow's been up already. Taylor Wall's getting this opportunity here. Uh, Bruhan, Franco, that's three middle infielders, switch hitting middle infielders that, that we have high expectations for as we go forward. And certainly less the immediate future, but certainly looking out over the next you know, a couple months, couple years, that, that very much plays a part as we continue to try to craft this club to, to make it as good as it can be. Was the decision to choose Walls over the other two speak to experience level, age? What what went into the decision on this one? That that played a part. General general readiness from feedback that we've gathered, you know, back from the alternate site last year forward, the reliability it can provide. You know, the, the defense is as good as you're going to see, but the bat has really come on and has you know, gotten a lot of at-bats against some really good arms, you know, internally at the old site last year, this year, uh, and out of the gates at Durham, and and has done really well with it. So really just felt, based on merit, that, that he was the one that, that deserved his first crack and, and could handle it the best. And, you know, to what I just spoke to with, with Yandi and G-Man on the corners and Joey's flexibility, I think just having a defense – defensive profile or somebody that's as good as Taylor is on that side of the ball uh, can complement some of the other things that Cashy likes to do with the group uh, during games as well. You mentioned the need for pitching. How much of that is, you know, you just had the injury to Cody Reed and he's now on the 60 day. You've got Chaz Rowe and Oliver Drake and Nick Anderson sideline and Chris Archer. And you're not quite sure when or how well those guys are going to come back in an odd move from 60 to 162 games. How much of that figured into this? It was a factor. I, I think you never know on the pitching side. It's it's a war of attrition. And, you know, we have we have a lot of guys out. We're optimistic that some of them are going to be coming back, uh, less so on others. But we'll figure that out when when their time comes. But 
we certainly understand how important pitching is, both length and, and shorter options, um, and how important depth is in those areas when you're trying to compete, and especially going back to 162 games. So being down some of those key members uh, of our group absolutely played a role, and just as much of it was uh, between Fire Ice and Drew Rasmussen. These are two arms that we believe are on the come, and their best is ahead of them. And when, when we see guys that we, we really like, we, we try to do our best to acquire them. Let's touch on uh, J.P. Fireisen first, since he has already joined the Rays. Uh, what makes him special? How does he complement what you already have in your bullpen? I've seen a lot of improvement from J.P. dating back to spring training uh, and, and carried into the regular season. And you know, it's, it's, three, it's three plus pitches. The fastball by today's standards clocks at a pedestrian 93, but has elite carry, you know, elite ability to, to ride above bats and and miss them with uh, with pitch life as opposed to just velocity. Uh, the breaking ball is a swing and miss pitch. The changeup is a, is a swing and miss pitch that has really high-end characteristics itself. And for someone that's walked as many as he has, just spend a lot of time evaluating you know, his, his film, the data, believe that he commands the ball a lot better than his walk rates suggest to this point in his career. And if we can clean that up a little bit, I think um, – you know, they'll have plenty of business being in the back end of our, our pen and, and taking on a lot of high leverage opportunities. Is the fastball, is this like Colin Pochet type fastball for something that doesn't have the great velocity? Is that comparable just from the right side? I, I suppose. I mean, he's got he's got the, the riding action like Colin has. It's I, I, I'm still adjusting to the fact that a 93 mile an hour fastball, 93 and a half, whatever it may be, is doesn't doesn't stand out, you know, on the back end of pens right now. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. He rides it as well as anybody, so he certainly fits in with that with that group of pitchers across baseball that can really lift it above bats. And obviously, you drafted Drew uh, Rasmussen. You weren't able to sign him. He ends up being redrafted by Milwaukee. What? How has he looked in his comeback from the latest Tommy John? Uh, he's he's looked great. He, he he looks like the pitcher that you know the the abilities that we envisioned him having when when we drafted him. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances around that, and it didn't work out. But Drew got himself fixed up, went through the, the rehab process again, and attacked it the way that knowing him, we knew he would. Thankfully, he's, uh, he's been strong you know, ever since getting on the other side of it. So we're, we're excited to have him back. And it's you know, one of those things that our, our knowledge of Drew really helped us in this deal and our confidence and Paul Kirsch going back to Oregon state, the work he put in Rob Metzler, our scouting director. Now the way that he handled everything around the really challenging situation with drew and that not coming together, you know, all, all that work played a key part in, in us having the confidence that drew getting past his previous hardships and, and where he is today. Um, this is, this is a good one to bet on and, and to stick with. And he was more than happy to be back here with this organization, you know, a few years later. Is he a multi-inning opener? Is he a back-end reliever? Is he a bulk guy? Or are you guys going to try and figure that out? The latter. We're going we're gonna to spend some time here to, to learn him and want to do some of that, you know, in an environment that's not the major leagues. And, and, and so we're going to get him a AAA, you know, reacclimate with him, make sure we have a good understanding of where he's at, how he's bouncing back, uh, what his preferences are in an environment that, like I said, is not the major leagues. And we're not throwing that all on him while he's trying to get out to the major league level. So we're going to take a little time to, you know, to see how our, our knowledge from a distance, you know, and while he's wearing another uniform checks out once we get him in the door and what he gives us directly. And we're going to go with an open mind. This, this deal was made because of the arm talent itself. And, you know, think he has the ability to impact us and any role he takes on. 
So this deal wasn't contingent upon him being a starter, being a power reliever, whatever it may be. Uh, so pretty open-minded. He's he's shown here that he's he's plenty capable of when he gets shortened up of bringing power stuff to the table and getting outs in that capacity if, if that's ultimately where we decide to keep him. Eric, thanks again for a few minutes. We appreciate you coming on. All right, Neil. Appreciate it. Thank you. Tremendous perspective from Eric Neander on a big trade. Joining us now from Durham with a closer look at Taylor Walls is Bulls manager Brady Williams. Brady, thanks very much for being with us. Neil, how you been? Good. Um, obviously, it's been a hectic last 48 hours for you, I'm sure, too. How did you deliver the message to Taylor, and in what way did you do it? It happened really quick because of the time frame of, I guess it was a um, media was uh, wanting to know what was going on with Eric. And so I had about a 10 minute window uh, once I found out the news and I was actually throwing batting practice in Durham, uh, stopped BP and just called everybody in. We're on the middle of the infield grass. Took a, it, took, it took a while because actually Walls was inside getting some treatment on his knee because he wasn't playing um, yesterday. He was just, he, he he's fine. He's, he, there's nothing wrong with that. But it took him a while to get out there. Finally got out there and I just, I just kind of told him how an organization doesn't make deals like this all the time. And I want to let you guys know that we decided to trade Willie Adamas to the Brewers and return for a couple of pitchers. And that obviously affects some guys here. And uh, one of you guys are going up and it could be many of you guys going up at this moment. It's uh, Taylor Walls and um, everybody went crazy, man. It was a pretty, it was a pretty awesome. It actually got more emotional than I thought it was. It was, it was a big moment for Taylor and excited for him. I mean, he just had uh, his first child this month too. So I would, I mean, that's all in kind of everything going on at once in your life. The ironic thing is, is that yesterday was supposed to be the day that his child was supposed to be born. So that maybe is why it was a little more emotional too, but uh, a dream come true for him. He's a dad now and he's a big league player. So um, he's ready. You've gotten to know him. Tell us why you think he's ready and what makes him special that you've seen over the last two years at the alternate site last year and then this year and in Durham. He's one of the most driven players that I've been around, and that's every day. He brings energy every day. He brings effort every day. He's very structured in what he does. He has a plan every day of what he wants to do. He's a really good defender. He can he can play shortstop. He can play second base. He can play third base. Stick him anywhere on the dirt. He's going to make plays for you. But last year at the alt site, him and Van Dement, our hitting coordinator, really focused on him driving the ball more uh, offensively and to get his speed off bat a little, just a little higher, not a ton, but the focus was on that. And, and they, they, they accomplished that. There was a lot of focus and on just swinging harder. And he, he did that and it's translated into what he's doing this year. Obviously he had a couple home runs, but he's driving the ball more consistently, really good at bats. And the, 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 all the other stuff is just uh, gravy on top. Let's go back to the defense. I've heard people compare him to a Kiermaier on the infield. Is he that good defensively? It's hard to praise somebody that much because you're you're putting that you're putting that up there as a, as one of the elite players in the game. As far as up to this point, he's he's really really good. Now is he going to continue to do that at the highest level? I hope so. I don't see why he wouldn't, given the opportunity. But he's a very talented uh, infielder for sure. What makes him such a gifted defender? Hands, feet, arms. He just he gets he gets the good hop. He's similar to to Kevin. How when they. When they think about the game of baseball, they dream of making like defensive plays. A lot of players dream of hitting big, you know, getting big hits or hitting home runs. Walls thinks of plays before they happen. And so when he makes them, it's not a surprise. He, he was already thinking about doing that last night, you know, and so he's just a defense. He loves playing defense and he's really good at it. 
obviously he's a rookie. He's in his first week in the big leagues. The Rays lost a big clubhouse presence in Willie. How will a guy like that fit in personality wise into a group? You know, you don't know. You, you just, he'll find his way. Um, he's not a real outspoken individual when you first meet him, but as you get to know him and you get around him, he is, he is one of the funniest carefree um, kind of cut up players there is. He, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll shoot it straight. He's not afraid to, uh, to check players and kind of tell them how it is because he, he, he can, he can do that. He brings it every day. Like I said, he's not, he's not going to change who he is based off what's going on. And so it's going to take some time for him, but he's, he'll find his way. And, uh, you know, the, the goal for him right now is to go up there and, and help the big league team win games. He's part of a unique group. You have all these talented switch hitters that can play in the middle of the diamond. What side is the stronger side? What side is the power side? How are they different? Uh, it's a good question because, you know, I, I've seen them good both ways. And I actually thought left-handed was not as good as right. But watching him for the last, you know, two months or so, is almost flip-flopped. His left for me is better than his right. And I think he might always be like that as a hitter. You know, he'll have moments where he's better left-handed than right and moments where he's better right-handed than left. And that's the, the life of a switch hitter. Uh, as I know, I, was, I, I struggle with that for a majority of my life. Um, he's good. He's good. But in both ways, just depending on what part, what, uh, where he's at. And how about as a base runner? I've heard good things about his ability to run the bases overall. From what I've seen, yeah, it's good. I mean, he's advantageous, um, maybe a little jittery out there as far as trying to do too much, but that's just him uh, wanting to get to the next base and score a run. But overall, he's a, he's, a headsy, he's a headsy baseball player and an advantageous base runner. Your job, I always think, is the hardest, managing AAA, because you've got guys who've been up, who've come back, who are hoping to get there for the first time. How much conversation do you have to have when it's Taylor chosen with Vidal and Wander. I saw Vidal put out a very nice tweet and I know that he has a good relationship with Taylor, but how challenging is that for you as a manager? I mean, you would think it might be difficult, but the, the way these guys are and the way these guys have kind of been around each other over the last two years, they become like brothers and they're, they're, they were so happy for him. And I think if, if it was either Bruhan or, you know, Franco or JLo or, Sullivan, if it was any if any of these guys, Walls would have been just as happy for those guys uh, going up. And so uh, it's kind of a brotherhood. They, they also know that their time's coming and they're going to join Walls at some point, uh, whether it's this year or next, because uh, they know that they have a really good group here and they're excited to, to you know, go and compete in the big, in the big leagues. Well, continue to enjoy uh, managing some of these kids. Um, and uh, thanks for sharing some thoughts on uh, Taylor and his development. Yeah, good talking with you, Neil. And that's the Durham manager, Brady Williams. We continue on this week in race baseball coming up. We will hear from prospect Alexander Ovias and also Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times with more on the big trade this week and the terrific run by the Rays, nine wins in a row. We're on this week in race baseball. We're back after this on the Rays Baseball Network. On air and online streaming live on iHeartRadio across Tampa Bay, this is Rays Baseball on 95.3 WDAE at AM 620, the home of the Rays. We continue on this weekend race baseball, and it's time to take a look at the minor leagues. And joining us right now, a guy who had probably the biggest game so far of any race minor leaguer, that's Alexander Ovias, who had three homers and 10 runs batted in in a game for Charleston uh, recently. First of all, welcome to our show. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, man. How you doing, now, man? Good. Tell me what it meant to have a game like that. I would imagine that's the best game you've ever had at any level. Um, it was something that I couldn't imagine. 
you know, I wasn't thinking about it because I was like struggling, but my team was were like holding me up every single day. Like, you know, you can do it because you're not getting hits. It doesn't mean that you're not a good hitter. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to just play my game. Let's just have fun today. And they happen, you know. When I was like in the last inning, I couldn't realize how big was the game. And when I hit my last homer, I was like, wow, I just have 10 RBIs today. Can you walk us through each of the at-bats and tell us what you remember about the, the three home runs? Yeah, it was in the second inning, my first A.B. The game, I think, I don't remember, but I think we were like tied the game. In the second inning, I just walked through the home plate and I'm like, let me just try to get this guy on the scoring position to see what can I do. Went on first and then like three pitches after, it was a, a homer, upper homer, like left field. And second A.B., I hit a ground ball the first, so I'm like, it's good. I'm on for two, so it's a good day, anyways. And third AV, um, middle first and second. I know the the pitcher wasn't scared to throw me strikes, so I was like, he doesn't want to come in, but the catcher is gonna tell him. And bang, slider inside pitch, and I hit a homer again, two men on bases. I had already five RBIs, and it was just the third inning, so I was like, man, this is a great game. Um, next AV, I hit a single up the middle. My fourth AV, it was bases loaded against a lefty. He was like struggling to, to throw strikes. First pitch, he comes up with a super high fastball and I swing at it. I was like, I'm, I know I'm ready. So, and then one pitch after, he comes with a fastball and I hit a single through first and second. So it was two RBIs more. And in the last AV, it was a nine, but I was like, Am I going to hit again? Like, what's happening? Because it was two outs, no minimum bases, and then I move my head and start talking with the guys, and it's bases loaded. I'm literally on the on, on deck, A.V., so I was like, let me get ready. We never know what's going to happen. And then, bang, last A.V., um, first pitch was a fastball, second pitch was a breaking ball. It was no ball, two strikes, but the pitcher made an error. Like, he threw me literally the same pitch as the second one, so I was like, this is my pitch. Let's just hit a homer. And I hit it out too. What does a game like that do for your confidence? Uh, it goes super high because I was, not, I was not expecting it, but I know I'm a good hitter. So it was like, I got my confidence back because I'm getting my hits, you know, what I deserve. It was like 100%, like, like from nothing to everything. Like it was just one day. And you mentioned you weren't getting results, but what I had heard, you were getting a little bit unlucky before that game. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Like, I was hitting a lot of balls, like, a lot of barrels right by the defense. So, I was, like, I can't do nothing about it, but I'm actually, like, upset because I'm I'm hitting the ball and I'm not getting anything back. So Tell me, you were one of a few players that came to the race in a trade with Texas for Nate Lowe. Were yeah. you surprised about that? And how has your experience been so far? I wasn't surprised because this is just, um, this is baseball. You know, you know about today, but you don't know about tomorrow. So, it was, like, I already got traded before. This is a new team, so if I'm going over there, that means because they care about me. So let's just keep doing what I do. Uh, let's keep being myself. And from that day to now, it's like, you know, amazing experience. A great time with my uh, my teammates, you know, and a lot of guys, a lot of talent, and a lot of, like, good vibes and energy. So I really like it in here. Now, you did come with a couple of players from the Rangers organization. Did you know uh, Roberto Hernandez well before you got yeah. traded? And, and what's the friendship like between you? And does that help get you adjusted to a new place? 
Yeah, it helped me a lot because I know, you know, he was my friend from a couple of years ago. So I was like, I know I'm going with like two more, like two of my, two of my friends that I know in here. Like everything is going to be all right for the first couple of days. I know them. I know we can hold each other accountable. So let's just keep moving. I know it's going to be the first trade they get. So I got to help them and let them know that everybody cares about Danny here. And what has it meant to you just to be playing again on a regular basis? Because last year for you and so many minor leaguers, there were no games because of because of COVID. What's it meant to be playing again? Uh, it's a great experience because last year we didn't play. So everybody was like getting ready. We couldn't play. But at the same time, it was like everybody was growing up on their mind, their body. So, you know, this year it's not going to be much harder because everybody's actually ready. But a lot of people is ready. You know, everybody was expecting this to happen again. So here we are. How did you get yourself better? How did you stay in shape during the pandemic? It was like same routine every single day. Just try to work out in the morning, take a rest for a couple hours. And by three or four, I was just every single day just going to practice with my friends. You know, try to be in shape because I didn't know where we were going to get back. So I was like, I don't know. We're going to play a game, but I got to be ready. I just got to keep my mind in shape, same as my, as my body. And in terms of this race organization, so far so good? You're enjoying the coaching? You're enjoying the, the players? Yeah. You're enjoying the group? It's an amazing experience, like I said before. Like, you know, everybody cares about you. Your teammates are great, so nothing more to ask. We're learning a little bit about you as we go. What are your? What do you see as your greatest strengths as a baseball player? I don't know. I just try to be always, like, Keep the things to myself. When it comes to games, I like to have my my own like routine and stuff like that. You know, everything I try to do always and everything like game every single day. I try to always have fun with my friends, my teammates. Doesn't matter if it's a game or practice. So I like to have everything under control. So when it comes to games and like stuff like that, I've been here before. Well, I hope there's a lot more successful games and weeks ahead for you. And we've appreciated getting to know a little bit more about you on This Week in Race Baseball. Appreciate it, man. Have a great day. Thank you. And that is Alexander Ovias, who had a three-homer, 10-RBI game in the Rays minor league system last week. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pendellis Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeartRadio Station. Yes, Solon's with you on This Week in Race Baseball, and time to take a look at the week gone by. And joining us now to talk about what obviously has been a successful week, but certainly a busy one, is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Mark, you've been around win streaks. This is now tied for the second longest in franchise history. What has impressed you the most about this group during this stretch? Well, Neil, I think a couple things, and, and one that stands out, obviously, is, you know, we talked about the resurgence of the offense. They were quiet for so long. They were struggling for so long. A lot of questions, a lot of fair questions about why they weren't hitting, especially with runners in scoring position. And that's obviously what sparked this turnaround. But I think, you know, if you look in those nine games, I mean, the couple that were separated, but even the last couple here in Dunedin, it was really uh, as much the relief pitching and some of the other things that are more uh, – symbolic of the Rays, what they typically do. And I thought Kevin Cash summed it up, you know, after Saturday night's game where he said, you know, everything is kind of working, all departments. And that's usually how it works when a team goes off on a nine-game streak. And you're right, only twice before. They uh, also won nine in the 2014 season, which was kind of a disappointing year overall. And then they won a franchise record 12 in the 
2004 season. To give you some perspective, that was considered a breakthrough year, their most <laughs> successful year when they won all of 70 games under Lou Pinella. Think of how far this franchise has come now uh, where playoffs and World Series have happened twice now. Yeah, so in terms of the Kevin Cash era, it is the longest win streak. And in the midst of it, obviously a lot of change. Um, give us your take on, you know, when the Willie Adams news came down, what your initial take was, your thoughts, and, and as you've started to digest it, how you felt. <laughs> My initial take was that I was going to stay at the Panera Bread I was working at a lot longer that day because I was <laughs> halfway between home and Dunedin uh, when the Zoom calls were going to start, so I pulled in there. Uh no, look, I mean, I, I, a couple things. You know, one is I, I was not surprised Willie Adamas was traded. I was surprised Willie Adamas was traded this soon this season. I think we all knew at some point that was going to happen. I think Willie knew that was going to happen at some point. He said he thought maybe at the end of the year, I think maybe sometime during this year was more realistic. But you don't often see, you know, quote-unquote baseball trades between two, you know, contending teams, talent for talent, in mid-May. And that's what we saw. So I do think that was a little bit surprising. I think the other surprise that people around baseball had was that Wander Franco was not the guy called up. But I think those of us that follow the Rays and know one more closely than you, especially the development of players through their minor league system, knew how highly they thought of Taylor Walls, many in the organization thinking he was the best defensive shortstop they had, even when Willie was here playing at the big league level. And also the more advanced of the three guys, of Franco, Brujan, and Walls. He had the most experience and a little bit older, played in college. There were a couple different reasons that factored into this, but mostly that he's a really good player, and I think we saw that in his debut on Saturday night. No question about that. And not only was it an impressive debut, but I thought, um, and maybe you thought the same, he handled himself really well. He did. He handled himself really well, and you know, we find out you know, this morning that he had you know, 30 friends and relatives who made the drive down here. Uh, we, you know, he shared with us before the game yesterday the really kind of cool story. Brady Williams gathering the Durham team on the mound on Friday uh, once they had the news, and then kind of making a group announcement. And the, the team, including Franco, including Bruhan, mobbing Taylor Walls and showing how happy they were were for him, and just a whirlwind. These guys, you know, we forget sometimes these guys are real people too. He has a wife. He has a one-month-old baby. His parents mm-hmm. had just driven from their Georgia home to Durham. Uh, And now they had to get down here. So he had all kinds of logistics to deal with. And, you know, everybody took care of what they needed to. Taylor Walls got here. Said he was a little nervous in his first at bat. Then we saw him lace the double his second at bat. Then he comes back up in the ninth, doubles again. We saw the speed on the bases. We saw the defense. Sure, the one error. But I think if you watched that game last night, you had a sense that he's a pretty good defensive player and and why the Rays think as highly of him as they do. And I, I didn't know he was as good of a base runner and as fast as he was. So that was something that I learned last night as well. And and not only that, we got to see one of the pieces that the Rays got in this trade, and obviously part of the reason they made this deal, Mark, is because there is going to be a tremendous need for depth of pitching, and we saw JB, uh, J.P. Fireisen last night, and he looked pretty good in his inning, too. He did, and, you know, we were still trying to figure out, you know, what it is that makes him so effective. He's got a fastball that only clocks 93-94, although, as, as Mike Zanino pointed out last night, the first pitch came in at 95, so... There was like so much for scouting reports on that. Uh, yeah, maybe a little pumped up. Maybe the gun here is a little hot. But uh, I think you saw the control. You saw, you know, there's a little mystery to this fastball. And I know you, you and I were both trying to get Kevin Cash to talk about it uh, yesterday, and he kind of shut us down as far as not wanting to give away scouting reports. But as you, you know, suggested, maybe it's a little like Colin Pochet from the right side, where you know we heard that was kind of a ball that kind of got up on hitters quickly. It looked faster than it really was. It was hard for them to hit. They kind of swung through it, and, and that seems to be a little bit of the success and the reason for Fire Ison has done what he has done to this point. 
How important was the win on Friday night, Mark, uh, in light of, you know, we don't have the benefit of being in the clubhouse anymore. However, I've got to imagine that it's fairly important to win a game like that right after a Willie Dom- Adamas was, was traded. Well, no doubt, Neil, because that was a very emotional day for the Rays. I mean, we heard from enough people, and, and you know, I talked to Willie directly, and you know, he was he was crying, and he said he wasn't the only one crying. And several of the other players were upset. We know how much of the fabric and core and emotional leader uh, that he was to this team and the role he played. You know, not just in the game. So, I think there were a lot of guys upset, and, and look, they all have to be professionals. They all have to, at some point, accept that you know that's how baseball works. It's a business as well, but guys were down and if, if they lose that game and let's say they t- take play the same game but they lose it in 12 innings instead it becomes a really long tough frustrating miserable type of day instead they win it in 12 innings uh they feel validated for some of the things they did and, and it turns out to be a happy day so you know it does it mean a lot does it mean they wouldn't or would would or would not have won on saturday because of what happened friday not necessarily but i think it's fair to also say that that certainly put them in better spirits given how that day had started no question about that. Um, and they're doing all this really still somewhat shorthanded. I mean, when you consider how much pitching they get Michael Walker back today, they're still missing a lot of arms on this group. They are, but you know, I guess the other side of that is, you know, they have filled in with a couple pieces. You know, we saw them trade Hunter Strickland. We were surprised. Maybe they knew that the, the deal with the Brewers was a possibility to replace a couple pieces that way. But, you know, what, what happens when some of these guys come back? I know – Kevin Cash and Eric Neander and their staff will say that's a good problem to have. But, you know, there is, you know, the expectation that Nick Anderson's going to be back at some point. We saw Chaz Rowe and Oliver Jake thrown off the mound during the last homestand. We know Chris Mazza is now active in at Durham. Uh, we certainly know there's some other guys at Durham. Brett Honeywell was here for two days, didn't get in. He's available. Uh, so there's some other options as well, but there's guys getting healthy. And, and I said, you know, I think the Rays will be happy to have that issue. You don't have the fully expanded rosters, right? They just go up by two in September this year. So I'll be curious to see how they pick and choose and who they activate and who's healthy. But I, I think they're much happier having that many choices and having the depth, as you say, than scrambling around as they have had to do at other times. And I think the other story this week that happened, Mark, beyond the trade and beyond you know the roster management that the Rays are going to have to deal with going forward is the fact that from a um, an offensive standpoint, the return to Gmon Choi, I think, has made a big, big difference in this group. Your take on that? No doubt, and it's been amazing, to be honest with you. I mean, for a guy that really didn't get a lot of spring training, and, and I, I think it's fair to say he just did okay on his rehab assignment. I mean, we saw the numbers. You know, we know Kevin Cash said the reports were relatively good uh, from Brady Williams, the AAA manager, the G-man looked like himself. But I, I think just the fact that he's come back with the discipline at the plate, I mean, we've seen him take some really close pitches. We've seen him work some walks. We've seen him, you know, when he does swing, get off some really good swings. So I, I've been really impressed. Uh, you know, for a guy, like I said, didn't have a lot of spring training, wasn't in great shape uh, when he came to camp, had knee surgery, so he obviously wasn't getting a lot of conditioning, at least initially. So I, I think what G-Man Choi has done, and, and look, he just brings a certain joy, and there's an esprit de corps when he's around. You know, we've seen him just these last couple of days in Dunedin. The fans here were doing the G-Man Choi chant. Uh, I don't know if Becca can do that for you and add it to the show, but, you know, just having that atmosphere, and then he entertains the fans, throwing balls to the fans, you know, responding to them. He gave Taylor Walls, a big hug yesterday when he came on the field for warm-ups just to kind of welcome him. G-Man Joy just brings an energy and a a spirit to this team that I think you you could also suggest they missed a little bit. No question about that. And, Mark, for folks who haven't, and I certainly welcome to do so, uh, what's the focus today in the Tampa Bay Times on this Sunday? Well, 
Ray's Tales, uh, as usual, on a Sunday, Neil, and I always appreciate you bringing it up. And, you know, kind of asked the question a lot of people around baseball are asking, which is what's up with all these no-hitters? And then the Rays certainly were experts on no-hitters a number of years ago. Remember twice in the 2010 season and once in 2009, so three times in 140 games, they were no-hit. So they've seen it from that side. They threw their own one and only no-hitter in the 2010 season as well, Matt Garza. So, you know, I think the general consensus is no one's exactly sure. You know, as Tyler Glass said, if I'm a hitter, I'd wonder what's going on. Uh, Brandon Lau made a great point in the article, I thought, which was you know, we're seeing hitters adjust on the fly literally during the season that that launch angle 35-degree swing with the new ball isn't really working anymore. It's not getting that ball out. We're seeing guys try to hit line drives again uh, and trying to adjust as the season goes on. And then you obviously mix in the number of power arms and the depth of power arms throughout the game. Mark, really good stuff. I hope people do take a look at that and uh, certainly appreciate your coverage all week on Willie Adamas, and thanks for coming on this week in Rays Baseball. Anytime, Neil. You know it's always a highlight. There you go. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us on this Sunday, and certainly you can check out what he's uh, tweeting about as well at tbtimes underscore Rays. Coming up on this week in Rays Baseball, Rich Hill, he's allowed one run his last 23 and two-thirds innings. You'll learn a lot more about him when we come back. Thanks for being with us. This is This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. This is the home of the defending American League champion Rays, 95.3 WDAE and AM620. Well, we continue on this week at Rays Baseball, and uh, our feature guest this week is someone who is new to the Rays, but certainly familiar to baseball fans, and that is Rich Hill. Rich, thanks very much for being with us. Neil, thank you for having us, having me on. You have such a unique background, and, and something that certainly, you know, I think is touching is the fact that it was six years ago that you actually made a couple of starts in independent ball, which to me speaks to you doing that at 35 to your passion for the sport. Where did that passion start and how did it get through you through some of your tougher moments and some of the adversity you faced in the game? I'm fortunate to have a love for the game that at a young age, it started with my brothers playing. They played baseball. Uh, they're they're a little bit older than I am. So, you know, I actually get to go to a lot of their games and and uh, bat boy for their games and, and be around a baseball field quite a bit because of, you know, their love for the game as well. But really that continued to, to grow with, uh, you know, the group of friends that I had and, you know, in our hometown and uh, guys getting together and we would, we would go to the, the little league field and play Sandlot baseball, I guess, if you want to call it, we'd just have pickup games and constantly playing the game of baseball when it was during the spring and the summer. And then as the, when I was younger, as the seasons turned, the, the sport went to a different focus, but baseball was always my true love, I guess, as a sport. I played other sports, but I, I really enjoyed uh, baseball and just and just loved it growing up. So that continued to kind of feed the drive to continue to play and want to and want to move on and and get. The, I was fortunate that I got the opportunity to play in, in college at the University of Michigan and then get drafted three times, once out of high school and twice at Michigan. It's just been kind of a not a natural progression because I put in the time and the effort and and the want was there. That's it's, uh, you know one thing that I I tell a lot of younger guys is just like you the passion and the intensity that we have for the game is is something that we should kind of focus in with our effort and that's something that you can't really 
you know, sway away from. And no matter what the results are, your effort is always going to be something that's has to be consistent and has to be at its highest level every time you go out there. So anyway, with that said, it's just something that for me, you know, has has naturally progressed. Like I said, you are certainly unique in a sport that becomes, it seems like at the major league level, younger each year, you're the oldest yeah. active pitcher, you're the oldest player that the race will have had later this month. What does yep. that mean to you and, and how do you see yourself in terms of your impact on other players in the game and, and the example you set for so many? I guess when I sit back and I think about it, it's it's just the act of uh, attrition. Or, you know, you just want to continue to keep moving forward and not really sit back and relax. I don't sit there and sit back on my good games and I don't really sit there and let my bad games beat me up you know so it's always focused in on the moment and focused in on the the task at hand or the here and now what is going on right now and that's something that you know has continued to drive me I guess at, at, a, at an older age it's just and that's what I tell guys you know no matter how bad things are going or how good things are going you know you want to make your peaks and your valleys really small in this game and, and stay consistent throughout you know your entire approach every time you're coming to the field because when you get in between the lines that's that's a different kind of uh mentality that you have to have and then when you're outside the lines you know or or away from the field or when you're not in the box when you're not on the mound when you're not out in the field competing you know that you can you can have a a different mindset but when you're in the box when you're on the when I'm on the mound or some you know I tell guys when they're in the box they're competing and you know, for them to have the ability to understand what it is to be in that moment, not think about any outside distractions or outside opinions or other people's thoughts or what other people are saying, you know, all these other things that distract from what we're supposed to be focusing in on is executing a pitch, executing your swing, being able to focus in on the play that you're going to make in the field. But it all comes down to that, the aggressive action and the intensity that each of us can bring in those moments out on the field. It's kind of like a boxer in a ring. You know, when the bell goes off, there's somebody across the ring from you, I guess for radio purposes, want to be you. So you have to be prepared to, in turn, be the aggressor. The point that I'm making is that the intensity and the aggressiveness that when you're out there on the field will, will take care of a lot of undue anxiety or, or stress that might be going on because they're, they're outcome-related thoughts. I tell guys to try to disassociate themselves from the outcome and focus in on the moment. To not focus in on the, on the results is so tough in the beginning but it gets easier as, as you continue to put the work in. So that's what I tell guys that, you know, just like we go to the gym to lift weights, just like we, you know, hit balls in the cage or throw bullpens or work on our pitches, you know, uh, during the week, you have to work on your mental side of the game as well. And that's what so much of baseball is. And that's why it's so great because, you know, you could be as a hitter three for 10 and be a hall of famer. And as a pitcher, I think it's a little bit different. The pitching mentality, my thought is how many times the ball can come out of your hand in an outing the way you wanted to. So the more times you can do that, yes, we want to win the game. Yes, we want good results. And those will come the more consistent you are with that approach. You're going to have bad games, no doubt. But 
if you can honestly tell yourself the ball came out of my hand the way I want it to, and you know, you continue on that path, you, you're going to start to see results, I believe, but you have to be honest about it. That's, that's the tough thing and you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool yourself. So as you have spent this time with the race organization, you've been part of a lot of successful teams and cultures. What is different in a good way that you've seen in your short time with the race that you really like and why? Well, one thing that pops out right away is Kevin Kiermaier gets everybody together after the game. I thought, I think it's such a huge team building little moment after the game because we just kind of highlight the the great plays we or you know whatever plays there were that were big time plays or or home runs the pitching performances um but everybody who really contributed in the game kind of gets gets a show of appreciation and i think that's something that i haven't seen anywhere ever in Mm. my career i think it's uh you know, pretty cool. I, I shouldn't say that I haven't seen it anywhere ever, but we did like in LA, we would do kind of player of the game. So it'd be one guy, you know, but this is different because it kind of highlights everybody, you know, not every player that plays, but guys that kind of stand out a little bit. And hey, I love it. I don't know. I think it's so cool. That and just the communication with Kevin, you know, I, I was with Kevin in Cleveland and also in Boston, you know, his ability to communicate in Boston and also, you know, as a player and then also as as a coach in Cleveland and now as a manager has been extremely consistent. So when we were in Cleveland, you know, I, I had a feeling he was going to be a, a great manager someday. I just, you know, just from the, the ability to see how he you know, understands players and have that side of obviously taking that playing side and kind of melding it with the coaching side as well, which is great. So, you know, that the communication from Kevin, communication from Eric, just the communication, you know, front office to the players has, has been really good. And and I think continue to try to grow those bridges between the players and the front office for ideas to get to the ultimate goal of winning. And I, that's one, that's the biggest thing that I've seen from, from organizations that I've been with who have been successful is that we're all in this together. And we're all trying to reach and attain the same goal, which is a World Series. So if there's really, if there's anything that will help the organizations, like I said, that I've been with who have been successful, have been open ears to that, to any kind of suggestions of just positive uh, steps in, the, in a positive direction for winning. Here, I think with, with the Rays, what I've seen is just the camaraderie is really good on the field and I know off the field it's continuing to build and guys are pulling for each other when you go to the field that's that's the main thing it's you know when with the with LA going out to the mound and and pitching I knew guys like Walker and Clayton and Julio and all the guys who were on the bench watching me pitch were pulling for me just as much as they would be pulling for themselves and then when they were out there we would all be pulling for him just as much as whoever, whatever, whoever's turn it was the next day, you know, that's a huge kind of step in the right direction for any organization culture wise is getting, getting guys to kind of feed off of each other. And, and what I mean by that, I mean, I see the way you're going about your business and I see that you're, uh, you're doing it the right way every single day. And it's, and it's kind of like leading by example, you see it in the next guy, and then you see it in the next guy, as far as the intensity of their performances you know, the aggressiveness, the attacking of the hitter, 
the challenging of the hitter, challenging every hitter to hit every pitch that you're throwing. So that's that's something that I'm I'm starting I'm seeing, and and that's that's really that's you know something that's that's great, and we're we're going in the right direction. And it doesn't happen too without outside support. You've been married what almost 14 years now, yeah. Caitlin. What what is your wife's support meant? Because you've been through so many different trials and tribulations and organizations over this time. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been there through through everything, and it's been amazing to be honest uh, to have that support that I've been getting from my wife, Caitlin. She has been unbelievable support system as far as somebody to talk to after good games, bad games. You know, she's there. She means everything to me. She's been there from the the beginning of this whole thing. So to share, to be fortunate enough to share this opportunity with somebody who you truly love and that you've been able to share when I look back on it good or bad their wonderful life experiences been has been incredibly fortunate for me I haven't really thought about this I guess until until you've asked me this question it's I mean I, I have but I've never really been asked this this question just to go through the ups and downs of you know the last couple of years have been obviously difficult for for many people and and you know with with the coronavirus and not being I, I, I didn't see them last year for probably two months, I think, out of the year, and then an entire spring training. So this year, and then probably almost two months up to up to a couple days ago, we had an off day, I was able to go home, but just the part where you don't get to see your family and know that I know that Caitlin's at home with our son Bryce, and you know, he's going to school and taking care of you know, a lot of things that going on at home, I just I just feel fortunate that we can do that. And that that she's totally supportive of and continuing to to play this game of baseball so you know I think that's the one thing is that a lot of people don't talk about what their significant other or their spouse is doing to set aside so we can go ahead and play this game that we love and that's something that I know that she has done. She's starting to find passions of her own right now, which is extremely exciting and awesome. And knowing that, the fact that you got put on a particular, the light blue jersey for one of your starts because your son wanted you to wear that, um, yeah. wanted to have the team wear it, kind of makes it all the more special. Yeah, absolutely. I had asked about, I know it was only really a Sunday thing. You know, I was kind of, well, it's going to be in our locker <laughs> and it's one of the uniforms. I was thinking, why? Can we wear it every other day of the week or whenever during the week when we're at home? You know, I like the light blues. Yeah, I think last year in, in Minnesota, we had a kind of that powder blue, the old throwback to the 70s there, the old powder blue. I enjoyed that uh, last year. And, and uh, you know, I know our son did too. So, you know, for the team to, to say yes, that was uh, that was very kind of him. So, you know, just let him know that I'm thinking about him when he puts on the game. And from a family standpoint, obviously family is critical to you. I just want to make sure we do touch on uh, the foundation work that you guys are doing, especially in 2013, you, you lost your other son, Brooks. He died of a rare genetic disease. And uh, we were able to work with Mass General Hospital. We, we came in contact at that time with the doctor who was in charge of genetics at MGH. His name is David Sweetser, Dr. David Sweetser. And we were not able to identify the genetic disease that he had passed from until a few years afterwards. He had called us and, you know, he didn't give up on uh, trying to find out 
what the rare genetic disease was that Brooks passed from. And he called us and told us that it was Galloway-Moet syndrome. It was an extremely rare syndrome that he passed away from. He was able to give us that closure uh, in some senses that we were able to know uh, what it was caused the difficulties that he was going through uh, while he was here. We were very extremely grateful that he was able to find an answer for us, but also we saw his drive to help other families out. You know, he was with us from the time Brooks was born, you know, stuck with us and continued to, you know, give us updates as far as how research was going and where they were making strides in in the field of genetics and how much it's kind of grown over the last, you know, five years, even every year, there's there's these, you know, kind of new advances in genetics that they're finding more and more answers out for families and for the children and others that are having issues that are unidentified. You know, in that we... We decided to uh, start the field of genes, which is run through Mass General Hospital. People could go to fieldofgenes.org. That will take them directly to the Mass General website where, you know, you can read about Brooks and, and also uh, make a donation. The donations would be going to David Sweetser or, and the field, uh, the field of genetics at Mass General. And the reason why we did that is because a lot of genetic testing is, you know, not covered buy insurance, and it gets very expensive uh, and adds up quickly. So they've been able to uh, help multiple families out and, and get them answers uh, through the testing that has been provided, uh, not only through Field of Genes, but also other, other sources of beneficiaries that have, that have donated. So it's obviously close to, to our family, but also in a, in a way we were able to honor our son, Brooks, and, you know, continue to to do some some good work. So we're excited about it. You know, hopefully it continues to grow. We don't know really what the next step is with Field of Genes or, or where we're going to go. We just know that we want to help families uh, get answers and understand that uh, it's a it's a difficult time when you're kind of, you, you, you know, you feel alone, you feel like there's nobody who's going to kind of provide assistance or and or help. So, you know, we, like I said, we we're very fortunate to have Dr. Sweetser and his relentless, you know, pursuit for an answer. Rich, we appreciate you sharing your story, and we hope there are many great moments with the Rays this season. Thanks so much for being with us on this week in Rays Baseball. Yeah, thank you, Neil. Thank you for having me. And that's Rich Hill, and we certainly appreciate Rich and all of our guests on the program today, Executive Vice President and General Manager of the Rays, Eric Neander, as well as Durham Manager Brady Williams, Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times, and also Prospect Alexander Ovias. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Hey, the Rays Rookies Kids Club, presented by Outback, is back with swag. Kids receive a duffel bag, AL Championship socks, and access to exclusive digital experiences with Rays players and staff. Memberships are limited. Join today racebaseball.com slash race rookies and race up next week brett phillips and much more thanks to derek dubose my producer i'm neil solon stay tuned the pregame show is next this is the race baseball network thank you for listening to this week in race baseball breaking ball lifted in the air way up there in the right field and deep judge is going back towards the corner at the wall gone and the rays jump in front four to one if you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next. 
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.